<clears throat> this morning we come to the end of the story of Ruth. Had this uh, story been written in our day, it probably would have ended last week in a passionate consummation of the love between Ruth and Boaz there under the stars on the threshing floor outside Bethlehem. For romance these days has little time for the constraint of legal obligation and has little concern about the fate of children who are the result of romances. And indeed, those are the matters discussed in this text today. Legal obligations and children. But this account was not written in our day, and though the story occurred during a terrible time in Israel's history when everyone did whatever he pleased, God who guided all these events knows what real romance involves. God knows that true love is not just a feeling of romantic passion, but true love keeps covenant with God walking carefully through legal constraints, and true love usually produces covenant children as part of God's blessing on a marriage. And so today we see true love flourishing, not in, a, in passion on a threshing floor, but at the city gates and the courts and in the birth of little Obed. Let me read chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of all the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this point, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malan's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. And then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel, may you have standing in Ephrathah and be uh, famous in Bethlehem. Through your, the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. And so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. 
The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there uh, said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, who was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. So ends the book of Ruth. Surprisingly, Ruth herself is hardly visible in chapter 4. She's certainly in the background. We hear some reference to her. After all the description of the previous weeks of harvest, after all the details of her interaction with Boaz in chapter 3, now Ruth's marriage to, Bo- to Boaz, her pregnancy, and the birth of her son, Obed, is all covered in only 15 words in verse 13. She's not the focus of chapter 4. Instead, the focus now turns to Boaz and Naomi. There are actually two scenes here in this chapter. There's the scene at the city gates where the focus is on Boaz. And then there's a scene apparently in Naomi's home where the focus is on Naomi. And then the little uh, genealogy at the end. But God has a great truth, I think, to teach us from each of these scenes. And so I'd like to uh, share with you what I think are the two great truths uh, of this passage. The first is this. That it's you God wants. It's you God wants. Like any good suspenseful drama, chapter 3 left the audience hanging, waiting to see what would happen to Boaz and Ruth now that their love had been revealed. And so our story picks up the next morning with Boaz going to the town gate, the place where civic business was conducted, to attend to the legal obligations of a kinsman redeemer. And there he finds the other kinsman, the closer relative, and he gathers a quorum of ten of the elders of the town, and they sit to transact this business. But then Boaz surprises us with his tactics. He informs the potential redeemer that Naomi is selling the property of her late husband Elimelech. Would he like to buy it? Now we didn't even know that Naomi had a piece of property, nor did we know that it was for sale. We thought this was all about Boaz's desire to marry Ruth, and he's not even talking about that. He's offering this man, almost encouraging this man to buy this piece of property. And to our utter amazement, the other relative says, sure, I'll redeem it, I'll buy it. And our hearts might sink that there goes the love story. And really, why shouldn't he buy it? When you think about it, it's a civic obligation to redeem your kinsman, to take care of a relative. And it's always wise to be a good citizen and a good relative. And Naomi is past the years of childbearing. He won't actually marry her. He won't have to give her any children. And whatever it costs to take care of her, uh, this widow, until she dies, will certainly be offset by the proceeds of this property that he's about to acquire. Land which will then be permanently uh, included, uh, added to his 
family estate is quite uh, an opportunity for a moderate investment. Oh, but Boaz is not finished with him. So he continues, he says, of course you know that on the day that you buy the property, you also take responsibility not only for Naomi, but for Ruth, the Moabite widow. A Moabite widow. And of course you know that you're obligated to raise up an heir to inherit this property which Elimelech left. Well, wait a minute. This changes uh, everything. <laughs> uh, this means that this kinsman is going to have to pay Naomi in her poverty for this piece of property and then take care of Naomi until she dies. And he will have to marry Ruth, <clears throat> who's also a widow, a Moabite widow. And their first son, when he grows up, will be the heir to Elimelech's property, and so the property he just paid for will then go back to this son. And not only that, Ruth is a young woman. She may have many other children, all of whom then get a share of his estate. This suddenly got quite costly. No, I don't think I can do that, he says. Verse 6, I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. And so Boaz has outmaneuvered the only other person who had a claim on his beloved Ruth. You see, there were three things that were required of a kinsman redeemer. First of all, a redeemer had to be a close relative. Boaz was a close relative, but this other man was a closer relative. We don't know exactly what the connections were. Secondly, a, a redeemer had to be able to redeem the property. <clears throat> Boaz, we know from chapter 1, was a man, or chapter 2, was a man of uh, prominence, and he certainly could afford to buy this property. And the other relative probably could have afforded it too, at least he initially said he could. But thirdly, a redeemer also had to be willing. And that's where the rub came. For the other relative was willing to buy the property and enhance his wealth. But he really wanted nothing to do with Ruth. She was a liability who would only create other liabilities. Ah, but for Boaz, Ruth was the whole point. Ruth was his goal in all of this. It was Ruth that he wanted. It was Ruth that he loved, not the property. Dear people, this Christmas season, we cannot miss the analogy to Christ our Redeemer. For he too meets the same three qualifications. First of all, in order to qualify as our kinsman, he was born in human flesh to be our brother. That's what we read in Hebrews 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death and free those who all their lives were held in slavery. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way. Jesus was born for just this purpose, to be qualified to be a kinsman redeemer. Secondly, Jesus had to be able to redeem us. May I suggest that Jesus alone is able to redeem us. There are lots of people who could have bought, afforded to buy Naomi's property. But our redemption is much more costly, you know. For the debt we owe is a debt of sin, and the wages of sin is death. And who could pay the penalty of death for someone else? They would have to have no sin of their own. 
to pay for. And who could pay it and survive the payment? Only one who is not only our relative, the Son of Man, but one who is also the Son of God. Jesus alone is able to redeem us. Oh, but thirdly, why would he want to? Why should we share in his inheritance? He's the very one we've offended by our sin. Oh, but you see, just as in the story of Boaz and Ruth, it is his love that drives him. It is his love for us that sent him. That's what we read in 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Well, this holiday season, there are all kinds of people who want your stuff. They want to use you. They want to profit from you. They want your time. They want a piece of your life. They want every ounce of energy that you're willing to give them. But only God wants you. It's you. And he loves. It's you he wants. So Boaz seals the deal, deal in verses 7 to 10 with the customary removal of his handle. <clears throat> the kinsman relinquishes all his rights in this matter. Boaz then declares before the elders and the witnesses his uh, purchase of Naomi's property. He declares his oath of obligation to marry Ruth and raise up children as heir to his kinsmen. And finally, he calls upon the elders and the townspeople gathered around to be witnesses of this legal transaction. And they say, yes, we are witnesses of this, but they're not content to just be witnesses of this, for they begin to rejoice and pronounce blessing on him. May your wife be like Rachel and Leah, they say. Why Rachel and Leah? Well, Rachel and Leah and their two handmaidens are the mothers of Israel. They're the mothers of all 12 tribes of Israel. May you have standing in an Ephrathah. May your family be like that of Perez, son of Tamar. Remember, Tamar is the mother of all the descendants of Judah, and they're of the tribe of Judah. And Perez was the head over the clan of Ephrathah. May your family be famous in Bethlehem. Oh, they never dreamed how that would come true, did they? As a thousand years later, a descendant of Boaz and Ruth was born in Bethlehem to be the kinsman redeemer par excellence. And folks, Jesus coming to be our redeemer has also produced a chorus of rejoicing like theirs. At his birth, the angels sang hallelujah and announced that Jesus has come into the world to be our Savior. And now Revelation 5 tells us that in heaven they're still rejoicing over this redemption that Jesus has brought to his people. Listen to this fantastic description of the rejoicing. The four living elders and the 24, uh, four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 10, times 10,000. They encircled the throne with the living creatures and the because he's driven by his love. It's you he wants. It's you he loves. 
It's not about your stuff. It's you. Then there's one more little scene here. And one more lesson. And that's this. That God's grace exceeds our sin and loss. God's grace exceeds our sin and loss. You know, a really well-written story will kind of end up where it began. The story begins and all kinds of issues are raised in the introduction. The characters are introduced and problems appear. A really good story, when it gets to the end, will tie up all of those loose ends. and You'll find out what happened. It will all be woven together until it comes to some resolution. And that's what happens in this last scene of the book of Ruth. Verses 14 to 17 seem to be set in Naomi's home. And here the story turns back to Naomi, not to Ruth, not to, uh, to Boaz, but to Naomi. Here we tie up the story of Naomi with which the book began. And you remember that early picture of Naomi, perhaps? After that first sermon, I got several comments that I was really hard on Naomi. Why were you so against Naomi? Well, she's a mess, that's why. She was really a mess. Uh, indeed, she uh, had a tough life. She was poor. She'd been widowed. Her son, she'd lost both of her sons. Now she's miserably alone with two uh, pagan uh, daughters-in-law in a foreign land. And, uh, but some of the trouble was of her own making. She and Elimelech had left the place of God's promise rather than trusting him. They had not raised their sons in the faith, apparently. Instead, their sons had taken foreign wives, uh, foreign women as their wives. And even when Naomi returned home, she was still not happy. Though Ruth had sworn undying allegiance to her, though God had visited his people with blessing and there were crops again and food again, though Naomi had returned uh, to, to a crowd of, of uh, wonderful friends and supportive people who were excited to see her and blessed her, Yet she was still filled with bitterness. You may recall her words. She said to her friends as she came back to Bethlehem, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasantness. And she wasn't pleasant. She said, you can call me Mara, which means bitter. And then listen to her. Because the Almighty has made my life bitter. For I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. Ooh. If God is the way that we tend to depict him, Naomi is toast. Judgment. How dare malign the intentions of the sovereign God. Oh, but here we see that God's not as we often depict him. That God's grace exceeds even our sin and our loss. Look at Naomi in this last scene. Ruth has a son. And she places him in Naomi's hand arms. It's, it, it's not obvious when you read this, but as you study it and you listen to the experts, you tell us kind of what the words really mean. Naomi, this son is going to be Naomi's heir. 
Naomi will evidently be the foster mother, or the word could actually mean the adoptive mother of this son. Indeed, this son is now called Naomi's kinsman redeemer, for he will renew her life and will care for her in her old age as a faithful son. And the women who heard her bitterness as she returned to Bethlehem, they now gather around to rejoice with her and to bless her. Indeed, in that culture, seven sons was thought to be the perfect family. But they say, oh, God has given Naomi something better. God has given Naomi Ruth, who loves her. That's even better. And one last thing, the writer's surprise here. This son born to Boaz and Ruth, this son who will be raised as Naomi's son, this son will prove to be the grandfather of God's anointed king, the man after God's own heart, King David. No longer can Naomi say that she's empty. God has filled her life again. Not because she was such a deserving person. She was a bitter old woman. But because God's grace exceeds our sin and loss. Indeed, isn't that the promise of the whole Bible? The prophet Joel says it this way. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. Grace, that's grace. That restores and exceeds our loss. The Apostle Paul wrote the same kind of thing. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Indeed, it is through the Lord Jesus, the son of David, the descendant of Ruth and Boaz, that God extends such boundless grace to us. Oh, he did not save us as we might have expected, bringing his powerful army in and, and uh, uh, destroying all of his enemies, for then none of us would have, would have withstood that day, for we're broken and sinful ourselves. But Jesus was born in weakness, just as Naomi's blessed little son, Obed. He lived in a humble setting. He pleased his husbandly father by walking in righteousness. And then in the most unfathomable miscarriage of human justice, they hung Jesus on a cross. And there on the cross, God punished him for our sin. But God raised him from the dead. And now he extends immeasurable grace to the undeserving. He is able to do so, for he purchased it with his blood. He is willing to do so, for he loves us. And so still today, grace exceeds our sin and loss. And dear friends, I don't uh, care how hopeless and miserable and bitter your life may have seemed. God's gracious dealing with Naomi should give you hope. And God's grace extended in Jesus should give you certainty to that hope. His grace is sufficient for our sin. His restoration is sufficient for all that we've lost. So this morning I call you to come to him 
and to rest in him as your redeemer. Well, the story started with a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi. Elimelech means God is king, though they lived as though it were not true. Ah, but God is vindicated in this story, for he is indeed the king. He keeps his covenant even when his people are unfaithful. He shows Hesed loving loyalty to his people, and he expects the same allegiance back. In his providence, he guides even the details of life to work out his perfect plan. He blesses his people, and in the process reveals the promise of an even greater blessing to come. And that greater blessing has now appeared in Jesus. He is the true kinsman, redeemer. He is the most famous son of Bethlehem. He is the ultimate son of David. He is God, the king. Amen. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, for the gospel set out before us in this story about Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. Thank you, Lord, for the way you worked in their life. Thank you for recording it for our uh, instruction. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you move all history, the details of lives, in order to work out your promises, in order to reveal your great salvation. We thank you, Lord, especially that you've allowed us to see it as uh, Jesus has come. And uh, we can now understand what these things were, were foreshadowing. Lord, may we not believe it less. May we believe it more and live it more fervently. Walk in gratitude to you because of your great grace to us. I pray for us, Lord, for we're often broken and sinful. And we desperately need your grace. Thank you for your love for us. Restore our souls, we pray. And lead us in the paths of righteousness. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.